place there. The theme, of course, is we beheld his glory. And today we want to behold his love. Behold his love. And in John chapter 1 and verse number 14, our theme verse for this Christmas season says, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. This is the miracle of what we call the incarnation. The incarnation is that God took on flesh, God incarnate. And in this miracle of incarnation, Jesus is referred to as the Word. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He lived here. He lived among us. And then we're reminded, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We spent all of last week understanding what it means to behold His glory. And that word glory, it refers to the awe, the splendor, the wonder of who Jesus is. And glory, we said, isn't so much explained. I could use words to try to explain it to you. But glory isn't so much explained as it is experienced. And we talked about just standing in the glory and majesty of creation and moments like that that speak to us. And really, one of the ways that we experience, if glory is not so much explained as it is experienced, one of the ways we're going to experience the glory of Jesus is by looking at His love, by looking at His great love for us. Listen, I don't think, and I said this I, I, when we were looking at the churches in Revelation a few months ago, I said, I preached about the love and the love of God. And I think we get accustomed to hearing God loves you, God loves us, for God so loved the world. But I think, well, I don't think I know that you cannot hear too often that God loves you. You can't hear that too often. And sometimes when, you're, when life is good and life is smooth and, all things, and things are all going well, we just kind of, you know, we, we think, yes, God loves us, God loves us. But it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much as far as circumstances or situations for us to say, wow, God loves me. And we need to know that in the depths of who we are. Sometimes we forget that God loves us. And so this morning we want to look and just dive deep into the heart and the love of God. And I've, my heart has really been blessed. I've been reading a book that came out this year that uh, has been just a, a real blessing to me. And we actually put it in the uh, Resource Center if you'd like to pick up a copy of it. But it's called Gentle and Lowly. And it comes from that expression where Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And just being reminded again that the heart of Jesus is love toward us. Well, we're going to look at that today. You cannot hear too often that God loves you. Now, I want to give a little background. What you're going to, I want to just explain where we're going to head today. There's really going to be three points, uh, three main points to the message today. First off, we'll look at the eternal love of Jesus. Then we'll look at the sacrificial love of Jesus. And then finally, we're going to look at the transforming love love of Jesus. I'm going to spend most of the time talking about his eternal love. So if I go a little long on that part, don't worry, that's intentional. I want us to really examine uh, something deep about the eternal love of Jesus, and then we'll see how that particularly relates to us. 
But first, I want to show you a little background. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord and let's pray together and ask Him to help us today as we, as we study the, these scriptures. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we're reminded that we love you because you first loved us. And Lord, our love for you, it is a, a weak reflection of your great love for us. So God, I ask that you'd help me this morning as I present the scriptures, but I pray that you give me the right words to say. I pray that it would be your truth that shines above all, that your glory, that 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 really comes out of this time, that we would come away just with a greater understanding of who you are and of your great love for us. Please help us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Look back at our theme verse. It says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of... Now look at the phrase. Jesus is described as, when it says, the glory as of, how is He described? As the what? The only begotten of the Father. Take just a few minutes with me, and we need to unpack this phrase, the only begotten of the Father. And we need to understand this idea of being the only begotten Son. It appears a number of times in Scripture. And really, I've got to ask you this question. You answer me yes or no. Is Jesus the only Son of God? How many of you would say yes? How many of you would shake your head or nod your head yes if you think he's the only son of God? Shake your head no if you say no. I've got a few of you very clearly, you're like, no, he's not the only son of God. <laughs> so, yeah, there might be some people that are like doing the, the both. You know, they're like trying to get the nod in the. Listen, he is the only begotten son, but we know from the scriptures Jesus is not the only son of God. In fact, the angels are sometimes referred to as the sons of God. We know that believers, you and I as believers, we are referred to as the sons and daughters, if you will, of God. So in some spiritual sense, God has many sons. But there's something unique being described about Jesus. To understand the Greek term, and by the way, and just for information, scholars have have studied this word um, to the nth degree. I mean, just there's a a lot you can read about this this phrase that's translated here, the only begotten Son. What is being emphasized here is not that Jesus is the only Son, but that He is the unique Son. He is the one-of-a-kind Son, that in His nature and in His being, there is no one like Him. Now, I'm not going to do a full word study, but if you were to look at Hebrews 11:17, we're not going to look at it this morning, but if you were, you'd see an example of this. Abraham is described in Hebrews chapter 11 and his son Isaac. And do you know what Isaac is referred to as? Well, you've probably guessed it. Isaac is referred to as the only begotten son of Abraham. Was he the only son born to Abraham? He wasn't because Abraham also had Ishmael. But there was something unique about the sonship of Abraham. Isaac, and that he was the son who was promised. There's something unique about the sonship of Jesus. So when it says that Jesus is the only begotten son, it's not talking about his birth, his origin. He wasn't brought into existence. What we'll see is he's been forever existent, but he has a special relationship with the father. And could I 
could I make this point this morning? This is really what the message is going to build on. The special, this statement that he is the only begotten son, there is a special and unique love relationship that is expressed in this phrase. A special and unique love relationship that's expressed in the phrase, the only begotten son. So let's examine that relationship. We'll get into our first main point this morning, and that is this, the eternal love of Jesus. Let's see what this idea of Jesus being in a love relationship with his Father and with the Spirit. We don't want to forget about the Holy Spirit. The message today doesn't focus on the Holy Spirit, so he's there. He's present in all of this. I'm just going to give that disclaimer right now but we're going to focus on the relationship with Father and Son this morning, the eternal love of Jesus. Now, much of our scripture is going to come from John's gospel and then also in the epistle of 1 John. John wrote about the love of Jesus at, at least as much, if not more, than any other biblical writer. It's interesting because John the apostle was also known as the disciple who Jesus loved. At the Last Supper, John was the one who was the closest to Jesus. And in fact, at the Last Supper, where was, where was John? He wasn't sitting next to Jesus. He was leaning on Jesus. So John, we, we know the Holy Spirit inspired all of the Scripture. But he used the personalities and the characteristics of the men who wrote the Scripture as well. And John just... I. As I, we'll, we'll get to meet him someday, but I think John was a man who felt very deeply. And he understood a lot about love. He wrote a lot about love. And these beautiful words, how he describes this only begotten son. Look at John 1. If you're in, the, if you're in John 1, you can skip down to verse number 18 as he explains this a little bit more. And down in verse number 18, John says, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten son which, what's it say, is, what's the tense there? Present tense. Now, this is not an unofficial Greek tense, but could I make one up? I think this is, you've heard of the active present, the linear present, all of those kind of things. I think what we're looking at here is the eternal present tense, that Jesus is. He was he is and he always will be where? In the bosom of the Father. The only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Jesus has eternally existed in that loving relationship with the Father. Let's put it this way. Let's think of it this way, that love is the very nature of God. And love is expressed in the Trinity. Now, I was going to, I meant to include the verse from 1 John, but most of you know it. There's a statement in 1 John that says this God is what? Love. God is love. Now, if you were here last week, my dad spoke a little bit about this in the adult Bible study in the morning. But the idea is this that love is the very nature of God. Now, catch this. Love is not a defining attribute of God. I'm sorry, I've got it backwards. Love is not a descriptive attribute. It's a defining attribute. It's important to get those, those right, and I said them wrong at first. Love is not describing God. 
It is defining who he is. There are many ways that God could be described. Loving, gracious, slow to anger, uh, just, holy. There, we, he could have said God is loving to describe him, but it doesn't. It says that a defining character, a defining attribute of God is that he is and his very existence, love. God is love. Really, there's another attribute that is very similar to this, and that would be the attribute of holiness, that just our defining, all-encompassing, all-encompassing descriptions and defining attributes of who He is. Love is the very nature of God. You say, well, isn't God, it doesn't say that God is wrath. Now, can God be described as wrathful? Yeah. But it doesn't say that he is. It says that he is love. He is love. If you do a study on, on the relationship between the justice and the, and the wrath of God versus the love of God, I think you'll always have to come away understanding that even what we would think of as God's harsher attributes can only be understood through his love. I'll give you an example of that. If God if God truly is love and all of his love is supreme, so because God is holy, everything that God is cannot be understood in human terms. Are you following with me so far? So if you would describe, if I do something loving, you, can, you could understand that. But when we, we apply these attributes to God, they're beyond our comprehension. So I'll just use the word God is supremely loving, that God is above all loving. So think of it this way, if God is so driven by that attribute that he is love, then how strongly must his wrath be displayed against anything that threatens what he loves? To give you a human illustration, if I were to say that I supremely love my children, you say, well, I don't understand how love and wrath, they can occupy the same place. Let me tell you something. If I supremely love my children, then you'd better, I'd better have some awful wrath against any who would do them harm. And people have a hard time understanding this. Well, how could we know that God, God has judgment and God has justice? So how could you describe him as lo loving? Listen, if, that, if he truly loves his creation, and by his creation, I mean you and I mean me, if God truly loves righteousness and purity, if he loves all of these things supremely, then even his wrath has to be viewed through the lens of that great love that he has. God is love. Love is the very nature of God. And if God is love, then by definition, he must exist in the Trinity. This is another evidence for the, the, the three-in-one nature of God. Because if God is eternally existent and the Bible describes God as love, then in eternity past, before the creation of the angels, before the creation of humanity, who was God loving? Who was God loving? Himself. Perfect love between Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, I want just, again, I said we're going to take a little bit of extra time on this. You've got, you need to just let your mind really focus on this idea. And it's so abstract for us because it's holy, it's heavenly, it's otherly. It's not something that we are completely able to comprehend. But Jesus is the eternally begotten Son. I was 
uh, not this Thursday, but the Thursday before, I got to preach in the elementary chapel at Grace Christian School. And it's always kind of fun because some of our kids are there and you're like a celebrity when you show up there. You're like, oh, you're at my school. <laughs> cool. You know, I know that guy. It was like they had Pastor Appreciation Day and me, my dad and Aaron, we all went up there and it's like, yeah, you know, they, they, you're, you're a celebrity, you know. If only ministry could always be that way, right? But anyhow, um, so we went up and did chapel and we talked to the kids and I used John chapter 1 as my text. And we talked about the Christmas story, and all the kids started describing the all the kids started describing the Christmas story. I said, "What would you see if you went to the Christmas story? What would you see?" And they were really good. They're like, you know, the, the kids were talking about hay. I think that was the first one. Somebody's like, "Hey, you'd see hay." I was like, "Yeah, you would." And we talked about everybody that would gather at the Christmas story, and the shepherds, and the and the animals. And we talked about how it would smell at the Christmas story, and all that all that kind of thing. And then we focused in on the on the manger. I said, we're talking about the story of Jesus. But if we wanted to talk, I said, boys and girls, if we wanted to talk about the story of Jesus, does it start 2,000 years ago at the manger? And I think all of them, maybe not the really little ones, they all very boldly and very confidently said, no, no, it didn't. It doesn't start there. I said, if you went back 2,000 years, would you get to the beginning of the story of Jesus? They said, no. I said, what if you went back 10,000 years? Would you get to the beginning of the story of Jesus? And they all said, oh, you got to help me out a little bit. You can be like you're in. You can all be in third grade this morning. I said, if you went back 2,000 years to the manger, is, would you get to the beginning of the story of Jesus? And they all said, yeah. and I said, no. I said, well, what if you went back 10,000 years? Would you get to the beginning of the story of Jesus? And they all said, and I said, what if you went back 200 million years? Would you get to the beginning of the story of Jesus? And they said, no. They said, no. They said, no. They understood it. I said, why not? And then one particularly astute fifth grade boy said, because he is infinite. And I was like, all right. There you go. That'll do it. He's infinite. Because he is without beginning and he is without end. The Bible says, and we've got these scriptures on our handout also in John chapter 1, John 1 verses 1 through 3, in the beginning, John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the word. I think we have those scriptures, Gideon, if you could help me with that. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We said, when you go back to the beginning, that's not the beginning of Jesus. That's the beginning of us. That's our beginning. And when you go back to the beginning of humanity, guess who's there? God is there, but who is with Him? Jesus. But Jesus is not only with God, but Jesus, the Word, not only with God, it says in the beginning, He was God. He is with God and He is God. At the very beginning of our understanding of time, there is Jesus and there is the Father. Verse number 2, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. At the beginning of creation, there is the Father, and there is Jesus. But did you notice, compare the description you just read in verse number 1. Look again at verse number 1. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was what? With God. But now go back to the verse we looked at a, a minute ago, John 1, 18. And that's just a few verses later. This is part of, part of John's explanation here. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is where? In the bosom of the Father. In the bosom of the Father. Did you notice? We see Him with God. Now, if you were, if you were with me, okay, all of you right now, all of you could be said in this room to be with me, right? We're all here with each other. But there's a difference between us occupying the same space and having the type of relationship that's described in this verse. Because what is the specific location? Jesus is, yes, from eternity past, Jesus is with the Father. But where is he with the Father? He's close. He's close. Don't let those words just be theological words on a page. John describes that, that God and Jesus, the, the, God the Father and Jesus, and the Holy Spirit obviously as well, they are not only occupying the same space, they are not only one with each other, but there is a closeness in relationship. It is as, as the Son is leaning in close in an eternal embrace with the Father. Think of those terms, the eternal embrace. Not just with God, but close to the Father in the bosom. And then what is he doing? We're still in this verse, number 18. He's in the bosom of the Father, and then he hath what? Declared him. Jesus is revealing the heart of God to mankind. You say, what is God like? What is God like? What, how would you describe him? According to this verse, where should you look if you want to know what God is like? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. How does God feel about me? Well, how did Jesus feel about the people he encountered? What is God's, what, what is God's opinion of this? How did Jesus behave? You see, what's amazing here is that Jesus, as the Son, is revealing exactly who God is. Jesus is the very heart of God to you and me. You know, some people have a misconception that Jesus is the kindler and gentler version of the Old Testament God that we're familiar with. How many of you ever have kind of had that type of a thought process before? I mean, that, that yeah, you've seen Jesus as, well, you know, I know there's Father, Son, and Spirit. You know, the Spirit, He's the hardest to understand, but the Father, a lot of people have the idea, but the Father, He's just, he's just mad all the time, you know? He's angry. He's the one sending down the lightning bolts. He's the one giving the law. That He's the Father, and then, fortunately, that's not all who God is, because then there's the Son, now, what I'm giving you right now is just really bad theology. <laughs> but it's, it's, the, it's the unspoken theology of many people's hearts. That God the Father is wrath and judgment and Jesus is mercy and love. But the scriptures teach us that the Son is revealing the very heart of the Father. 
that they are inseparable, that the love of Jesus is the love of the Father, that, friends, our Creator is just obsessed with loving His creation in the same way that He loves His Son and the Son loves the Father. This is an eternal kind of love. It's a perfect love. Even the most wonderful of human love that could ever be experienced between a man and a woman or a, or a mother and a child, even the, mo- the, the greatest type of human love is always going to be tainted by our sinfulness. Even the best relationships are affected and tainted by the stains of sin. But the love of God is the only pure, undefiled, perfect love. And it was enjoyed for all of eternity between Father, Son, and Spirit. That's the glory of the Trinity. Jesus gave us a glimpse of this love. I'm going to read a little bit lengthy of a passage. I'm, just, I'm not going to say a lot about it, but I'd like you to read along with me. This is John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. We catch Jesus. This is a, kind of like one of these flashback scenes. We catch Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is way past the manger. This is just hours before he's going to be crucified. He's spending time with his disciples in the garden, and he's praying. He's praying. Few of the prayers of Jesus do we have recorded. But we get a glimpse of a cosmic conversation between the Father and the Son. There are a couple of them in the scripture. This is a cosmic, this is the kind of stuff that eternity was made of. The Father in prayer with the Son. Now he's praying for you and I, the disciples. Look at verse 20. We pick him up in the middle of his prayer. To the Father, Jesus says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Who's that? So, so, folks, just stop, please. Whatever you do, do not zone out because we're reading Jesus praying for us this morning. And the Bible says that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. That today, Jesus prays for you. Today, Jesus prays for me. Another message for another time, but don't look at Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for me. I am the one who believed on Jesus because of the word of the apostles. So listen to Jesus pray for you. He says, I want to pray in verse 21 that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. That they also may be one where? In us. Where is the location of Jesus? He is eternally where? In the bosom of the Father. He's the only begotten son in the bosom. Jesus is describing the relationship that he wants to have with you and with me. He's using the relationship that he has eternally had with the Father to describe the relationship he wants with us. That they also may be one in us and that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Who does Jesus want to experience this love? See that? Who does he want to experience this love? The world, everyone, every person, not a select few, not a a pre-chosen group, 
But the desire, the heart of Jesus is that the world would experience this love. Verse 22, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. And these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. The glory of the incredible, eternal love of the Father and Son is on beautiful display in that prayer. Wouldn't you agree with me? And who has been invited into that love? Us. We have been. And when you consider what it cost to bring us into that love, you come to the sacrificial love of Jesus. The sacrificial. You see, this love is not only perfect and eternal and oh so generous, but it's sacrificial. Because a verse that you're familiar with that uses very similar language is found in John chapter 3, verse 16, where it says this, For God so, what? Loved the world that He gave His, what's the phrase? Are we linking it together now with where we've been? The only begotten Son. Only begotten Son describing this unique love relationship that the Father and Son have enjoyed for eternity was given for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Do you understand that in, in some sense that we'll never be able to fully comprehend the Father, the Son, the Spirit who lived in eternal love one with another said we will surrender, we will sacrifice some of that love so that they can have it. And that's exactly what happened because not only did God give His only begotten Son, but the Scriptures say that He forsook His only begotten Son. He forsook Him. Another little bit longer passage. Let's go to the... We've, we've, we've been in eternity past. We've been at the manger. We've been in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's go to the cross now in Matthew chapter 27. Now we go to the cross. And they that passed by reviled Him. Jesus is bleeding. He's dying on the cross. And they're wagging their heads, saying, Thou that destroyed the temple 
and buildest it up in three days, save thyself. Look at the next statement. If thou be the what? The Son of God. Think of the eternal significance that we've been discussing about that statement. There Jesus is on the cross, dying, bleeding for the very people accusing him, mocking him, and they say, oh, they'd heard Jesus refer to himself as the only begotten. And now they mock him. People ask the question, how could a loving God ever send anyone to hell? Can I ask this question? How could a sinful people mock the very existence of the one who gave everything for them? For people to say, well, I believe that Jesus is a good prophet. I believe he was this, he was that, but he wasn't the eternal son of God. You join the, verses, you join the voices of the mockers who say, oh, you're the son of God. But that was all of us before we came to know Christ. We were without hope. We were lost in this world. We would have been just like them. Oh, you're the son of God? If you're really this, the, the, the son of God, this only begotten son, why don't you come down? Why don't you come down from the cross and save yourself? Verse 41, it wasn't just the crowd. It was even the, the priests, the religious people. They mocked him in verse 41. In verse 42, the voice of their mocking says, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land unto the ninth hour. Now we come to verse 46, but as we prepare to read verse 46, remember, Jesus is on the cross. Who is he? He is the only begotten Son, eternally in the bosom of the Father. He has enjoyed the love relationship with his Father for all of eternity. Now he's being mocked for that relationship that he has. He's being mocked. He's being told, oh, Son, you're the Son? I think it was maybe two, three times in this passage he's been mocked for being who he is and for the love that he enjoyed. So now he's listening to the sound of the mockers remind him that he is indeed the one beloved of the Father, but instead of receiving the love of the Father in this moment for the first time in all of eternity and for the only time that will ever exist for all of eternity to come, rather than receive the love of the Father, Jesus received the wrath of the Father. He cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The eternally beloved Son, forsaken by the Father for us, for you and for me. If you wonder, I just don't know if God loves me. He was forsaken from eternity past. Can I speak a little, can I give you a little tough love this morning? How dare you question the love of God for you? How dare you question if Jesus loves you? You say, but you don't know what I've done. I I've not been faithful. I've been oh so unfaithful. How dare you question his love when he did that for you and for me? 
And I don't mean that harshly, but do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes you need to say that to yourself. Or the devil comes and tempts you and says, God can't love you anymore. You've just messed up. You tried to be a good Christian, but you failed again. You need to look back at the devil and say, how dare you question the love of the one who was forsaken by God for me? He loves you with that eternal love. He was forsaken for you. Why? Also, finally, he could bring us, not just show us and tell us about this love that is eternal, that is sacrificial, but so that he could transform us by his love, that we could be transformed by his love. We go to another scripture from the Apostle John, and that's 1 John chapter 3, verse number 1. This has got another one of our words from our series in it, and it begins with the wonderful exclamation. What's it say? Behold. Behold. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called. What? Boy, it's all coming together here, isn't it? That we should be called the sons of God. Yeah, but that's in a different sense than Jesus. Yes, it is in a, in a different sense, but not entirely. Because the Bible describes Jesus now as the firstborn among many... Does anybody know what it says next? Brothers. That he is the firstborn among men. That you and I have been invited to become the sons and daughters of God because of the love of Jesus. And John just stops and he says, behold this kind of love. Experience, meditate on, consider this type of love. This is why we're doing this this morning, because we've been commanded to in the scriptures, behold this kind of love, and to think about this kind of love a kind of love that the Father would bestow upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Consider, behold, His eternal, His perfect, His sacrificial, and His oh-so-generous love for you and for me. Behold the love of God. But the wonderful thing is this. We're not just called to behold, but we're called to become. Behold, become a child of God. That you should be called the sons of God. And this is the most important part. First John, we go to another, back to John chapter 1. We've been back and forth a little bit. But back in John chapter 1, in verse number 12, it says this, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the what? Sons of God even to them that work, become religious, try harder, do better, live up to it. You're getting a little disagreeable with me, Jim, there, because it doesn't say any of those things. It says, even to them that believe on his name, to believe. It's a kind of love that says you don't have to achieve, you just need to receive it. You don't do, it's already been done. You don't work, you simply trust. After all, what would we have to offer to that man who gave his life on the cross? What would you have, like, well, I pray an awful lot. 
Just think of the absurdity of saying that to Jesus on the cross. I got this thing. I'm a pretty good person. Boy, sounds pretty pitiful in view of the cross, doesn't it? Well, I was raised a certain way. That doesn't sound like much in view of the cross. But as many as received him, to them gave he power. That word power doesn't mean like, you know, like the Avengers, you know, superpower. It means the ability or the authority, the right. To whoever believes on the name of Jesus, they now have the rights and the privileges of being known as the sons, and if you'll allow me, daughters of God by receiving, by believing. Simply this morning, we are called to behold, to believe, and to become the sons and daughters of God. Behold, believe, become. The most important thing that any person can take away from this message is this. Just give me your attention for the last couple of minutes. The most important thing that anyone can come away with this morning is this. First off, understand how deeply God loves you. And then ask yourself this question. Have I been trying to earn God's love when I simply am called to receive His love? You see, you're not a true Christian if you're trying to earn your way to heaven. If you're trying to earn God's love, you're not a true Christian. You're not a son or daughter of God. You might be, defi- you might be a religious person, but you're not a Christian. If you're trying to work your way to earn his love, you've completely missed the point of Christianity. You believe in some other religion that might involve someone named Jesus, but it has nothing to do with Jesus in the Bible. You are a Christian when you understand that you are saved entirely and completely by his love and his mercy for you. That his death on the cross and his resurrection is your only hope of salvation. Have you received Jesus by faith alone? You might say, well, Ethan, I'm not sure. Up until now, I thought I was okay because I was trying my hardest. What do I do? Well, right now in this moment, you can repent of all your own efforts, lay them aside, and simply believe on Christ. You don't have to do any religious act or performance. You simply, in your heart, acknowledge your sin to Jesus. Jesus, I am a sinner. But I believe that you died and rose again for me, and I trust you to save me. I receive your love. You say, it's that simple? It's that simple. If in this moment right now, in your heart, you would, re- you would pray a prayer, something like that, or just receive Christ by faith. Say, Jesus, it's you and you alone. Today, for the first time, I receive you. Would you do that this morning? If you've never done it, do it right now in this moment. I don't need to stop the service. You just need to, in your heart, bow to Christ and say, yes, I receive you, Jesus. But if you already have done that, if you're already a believer, I've got one more thing for you. This is the bonus part of the sermon. That little extra PS here at the end. We've got a, no extra charge, it's okay, all right? (laughs) 
look back at that passage, 1 John 3. The first thing you've got to settle is, are you a child of God? That's the most important question. But there's a little extra here. 1 John 3, pick it up in verse 1, but we're going to read all the way down through verse number 3. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. If that's you, could you say amen this morning? That's me. If it's not you, make it you today so you can say amen. That's me, the son or daughter of God. Therefore, the world, let me paraphrase, just doesn't understand us. They don't get us. They don't understand the way we live. Why? Because they don't understand Jesus. But now look at verse 2. Beloved, oh, there's another love word, loved ones. Now are we the sons of God? Not going to be, but when are we the sons of God? Right now. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. In other words, we're already the sons of God, but we know in eternity we're going to exist in an even better sense. Don't know exactly what it's going to be like. Well, this much we know. We do know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We've talked about love. We've talked about being the sons of God, this eternal hope. Now look at verse 3. And every man, every single one of us that has this hope in him. Who's that? You have that hope in you this morning? You have that hope in you? Everyone who has that hope, what does he then go out and do? He purifies himself. We're not saying, well, receive the love of God. It's okay. Do whatever. Do whatever you like. No. The point is this. You start by beholding the wonderful love of God. But how could you come away from scriptures like this and be like, thanks, Jesus. I think I'll go party and get drunk tonight. Absurd, right? How could you do that? Thanks, Jesus, but I'm going to go lie to my boss tomorrow. Remember the cross? Are you the son of God? You're the, I'm a child of God, I'm a son, or you're a daughter of God? Thanks, Jesus, but I'm going to do my own thing. Thanks, Jesus, but you fill in the blank. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. In fact, the whole New Testament was written because he knows we wouldn't be perfect. But he does expect us to walk in his love and to let our lives reflect his love and be changed by his love. When Aaron introduced that song that Danielle sang, Jesus, he said it well. He said, he invites us to come as we are, but he sure doesn't want to leave us that way. He wants to make us something holy and something pure. Now, now, but then there's this trap. The trap is you think, okay, so now I'm going to prove it. He loved me, so I'm going to prove that I love him. Nope, you let his love flow through you, his grace flow through you. Because you're still going to fall. You're still going to fail. And then the devil is going to tell you, see, you're not good enough. Then you've got to remind yourself, wait a minute. It was never about me being good enough. It was about his love for me. I'm unconditionally expected. The truth is this. The examples I gave earlier, 
the, the examples I gave earlier, you know, thank you, Jesus, but I'm going to go do this. The fact is, there are moments in a Christian's life where it's possible that you would behave that way. But he still loves you. And he still loves me, even when we do have that attitude. And so the Apostle John says, let that motivate you to change. Let that motivate you to be everything he wants you to be. Amen? Let's bow our heads. I think God has spoken to each and every one of us in a different way this morning. In just a minute, we're going to just maintain this time of prayer. Danielle's going to sing that song again. Just while we pray, she'll be singing that. I'd just like us all to think about the love of God this morning. Would you just do that? Quiet moment. Listen to the music. Allow God to just bless your heart. You might have come this morning and you're just, you, you felt like a failure. God loves you. He's just waiting for you to come back and step into his love. Don't believe the lies. How dare we question the love of one who gave so much for us? And then one last time, if you have never received Christ as your Savior, why are you waiting? God does not want to send you to hell. I'll say that bluntly. God has no desire to punish you for your sins, but he gives you the choice. He will not force his love upon you. You must receive his love by faith. Trust Jesus today. If you have questions, please send, a, send me a message. You can reach out or talk with me after the service. But don't wait any longer. Jesus is waiting for you. He says, come. Let's go to prayer.